Welcome to season two of the Nutrition on a Mission podcast. I'm Dr. James Gieselman. This is my co-host, Coach Drew Sams. And together, we bring some of the leading nutritional and healthcare providers, world-class athletes, and exercise and fitness influencers from across the country who incorporate nutrition either in their practices or day-to-day lives. Our guests share with you their stories of what led them to their passion for nutrition and how you can incorporate that same passion uh, into your life. Drew, can you believe it? We made it to season two. It's awesome. It's crazy. I mean, this has been an action-packed couple months between season one and season two, and I'm really excited to you know bring some of these guests um, on in season two. I think we've got a lot of heavy-hitting guests. Uh, we definitely do. You know, for the listeners at home, uh, let's just start off the, the podcast season two off right. Is there anything that might be podcast worthy that, you know, they should know? I would say so. I actually just graduated from my master's of science and nutrition and human performance program. So you know, excellent. I, I am now a master of nutrition, so I don't, may not feel like it, but. Um, I have the title, so. We love it. That's right. As Drew said, he just graduated from the Master of Science in Nutrition and Human Performance degree here at at Graceland. Uh, He was part of the first cohort to go through. Um, You know, this is a cohort that I um, spent a lot of of time creating. So to actually see it with its first set of graduates and especially have you as one of those graduates, uh, it's really humbling and it's really exciting to see, so. Yeah, you know, I'm super excited to, you know, hopefully, you know, pass on some of that information because I'm going to, you know, keep teaching here at Graceland, you know, throughout the, you know, fall semester and spring semester next year and, you know, hopefully more years to come. So, yeah, well, we're in the second cohort now, you know, so that's been taking up a lot of my, a lot of my time right now. So I'm teaching uh, nutritional assessment of athletes. Um, You don't by chance remember that course, do you? I, I do remember that course. I wish I would have, you know, actually put the work in weekly like you asked us to do. Um, I probably would have liked it a little more, but, you know, I really enjoyed that. And I still use a lot of the information that I learned. I bet a lot of students for all my classes would say that, but let's talk season two. Let's talk season two. What can the listeners out there, what can they expect to hear from us on the podcast? Man, they can expect a lot of different topics. I mean, you know, whether it's from the gut, whether it's inflammation, parasites, hormones, you know, fertility, birth control, you know, there are a bunch of topics that we are really going to dive into in season two with, you know, our guests that have a vast knowledge and abundance of information about all these topics. You know, I'm never going to claim to be an expert in any of them, but we're bringing on the experts in these fields and, you know, I'm super excited. Yeah. You know, I would like to think that I could be an expert in a few of these fields. Um, but I know that we have topics like the autoimmune conditions are really big. I know that we see that a lot here at Iowa performance. Um, autoimmune conditions is huge. It's just continuing to grow across the country. Environmental toxins, you know, I had no idea about some of those toxins, and so I can't wait to to learn more when we get to interview some of our guests. The ketogenic diet, I would like to say that that probably is maybe one of my areas of um, expertise. You know, I did that for a while. Um, but, of course, you know, we're going to hear athletic performance. We're going to hear heart disease. So I, I'm thrilled. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, we should go ahead and get into – you know, season two. So let's kick it off. You know, I'm really excited about today's guest. Today is um, Leanne Vogel. So Leanne's podcast is the Keto Diet Podcast. Believe it or not, Drew, six years ago, she was the first podcast that I ever went on and spoke at. So I went on, I spoke about food sensitivities. I talked about food sensitivity testing and that, you know, to have her on today, have this come full circle um, and to bring her on as one of our guests to our podcast, I'm really thrilled about it. So can you introduce the audience to Leanne Vogel? Oh, I sure will. Leanne Vogel is a certified holistic nutritionist and functional blood chemistry specialist who has been in the space since 2007, 
helping women use a ketogenic diet to balance their hormones. She specializes in addressing chronic root cause issues such as parasites, mold, and metal toxicity using standard blood work. Leanne is the international best-selling author of the Keto Diet Paperback, founder of healthfulpursuit.com, and voice behind the longest-running keto podcast, the Keto Diet Podcast. She works one-on-one with clients from all over the world, helping them understand their standard blood work and coaching them through their root cause issues. You can find her resources at healthfulpursuit.com. Leanne, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Um, So for those who may be listening, so this is the start of season two. Um, You know, we are just starting off strong. So excited to have you on. So for those who are listening that may not know much about you or your journey, um, tell us a little bit about your ketogenic journey and what led you to where you are today. Yeah, so it really started in 2007 when I studied nutrition that led to working with clients, which led to me being vegan, which um, I had hypothalamic amenorrhea at the time. I had a lack of period. It had been seven years and I figured what I was doing wasn't working. And so I started researching. I my diet after eating keto for a year, I got my cycles back. This was in 2015. And since about 2014 or so, right before I got my cycles back, I started educating on the ketogenic diet Um, And I've really been doing so ever since. Um, In 2020, I was diagnosed with a pretty severe parasite that was slowly annihilating my liver and making it impossible to generate ketones. Because all of a sudden, I was just having issues generating ketones, which was so unlike me. So turns out I had a pathogenic parasite called Entamoeba histolytica. It was pretty gnarly, had to go through a lot of a lot of things over two years to kill that bad boy. And then I started seeing just how important some of these root causes like metals, mycotoxins, parasites, um, make it really challenging to follow a ketogenic diet and balance our hormones. And so as I've gone through, uh, like, I don't even know, 15 years in the space, I'm constantly learning as all practitioners are. Mm-hmm. And so the way that I see the body and the way that I see um, the paths to balance has adjusted and shifted over the time. Um, yeah, so that's a little bit about me and my journey in health and wellness and keto and all the things. Yeah, I mean, we're really, you know, glad to have you on here and, you know, talk about, um, you know, all the knowledge that you have. Could you go into the ketogenic diet a little bit for some of our listeners who maybe haven't heard of it? Yeah, so the ketogenic diet is a low carb, high fat diet where we are burning fat as energy instead of glucose as energy. So in order for this process to take place, it is a little bit of a challenge getting into keto only because your body is so used to using sugar as energy. And if you are not actively eating a pretty good amount of fat and pretty low amount of carbs, chances are you are burning that glucose or the sugar for energy in your body. And though that is a very efficient way to burn energy, it's very available. It's relatively easier on the body. It's not overly efficient long-term and depending on your metabolism and your goals, your metabolic state, um, and really some of your key factors of your health, which we could get into today. Um, some people do really well on the ketogenic diet, Some people do not so well on the ketogenic diet. Oftentimes what I'm finding is most effective is if you're metabolically struggling, you are addicted to carbohydrates, you're having a hard time, like pushing through energy in the afternoon, a ketogenic diet for a certain period of time, whether that be a couple of months, maybe even a year to kind of like reset things can be super powerful. It would be really rare now that I would recommend a ketogenic diet ongoing for a very long period of time, unless you really, really need it. Perhaps you're a diabetic or those sorts of things, or maybe you've lived in a water damaged building where a ketogenic diet or um, eating a lot of fat is actually super beneficial to the detoxification process. But it's really a metabolic switch from burning sugar as energy to burning fat as energy. That's kind of the basic intro to the ketogenic diet. Love it. So besides, um, you know, your work with the Keto Diet Podcast, um, you know, since we talked last, I, 
you've become a certified holistic nutritionist. Did I get that right? Yeah. So I think we talked in maybe like 2015 or so 2017, maybe it was, I think the release of my first keto book. Yeah, that was really fun. I've gone on to write two more, which is crazy. Um, So I became a certified holistic nutritionist back in 2008. Um, But then I went back to school around 2020 and got my um, functional blood chemistry specialist certification, um, which allows me to look at blood work from a functional perspective. And that has changed the game. I cannot tell you any nutritionists listening who are using like symptom logs and trying to figure out like what's going Mm -hmm. on in the person's body. It's just not as effective as seeing what the cells are doing. And so that was a big change. Um, not only for myself personally and understanding my health, but helping my clients on a deeper level than just share your food logs. And I'll tell you what's going on with your food. Right. It's just, there's so much more to it. So, right. So what are some of those conditions that you're seeing a lot in practice? Oh man. Okay. Top issues when related to blood work, especially, do you want to start there? Mm-hmm. Like just what I'm seeing. Yeah, in let's start there. Okay. So, um, I see a lot of nutrient anemias, not just iron anemia, but a lot of zinc deficiency, magnesium deficiency, um, iron anemias because of copper issues, either copper unavailability issues or um, copper toxicity issues um, in the realm of anemias that I can see in blood work. Um, iodine is I feel like every other client that I'm working with is on some sort of iodine protocol. Um, So those are kind of the anemias that we're going to see in the blood work, both in any of the iron panels, um, like ferritin, iron, TIBC, UIBC, the saturation. um, And then anemias are also seen in all the red blood cell markers. So your actual red blood cells, hemoglobin, hematocrit, MCV, MCHC, those can also show anemias. And then we get into infections. So I see a lot of H. pylori in blood work with elevated neutrophils and low lymphocytes. And I see, um, in addition to symptoms, of course, and I see a lot of parasite imbalances and I can see it in the blood work with the eosinophils and the white blood cells in a couple of areas there. Those are probably like the most common. And then from there kind of affects, like if they have any sort of infection, we're also going to see it in the cholesterol panel with an elevated LDL, which is going to increase the cholesterol. Um, I see thyroid dysregulation quite often, but now this might like anger a couple of people and be a little bit out there. I don't initially, I don't necessarily care about the thyroid as much because the thyroid is going Mm -hmm. to react to the circumstances that the body is in, unless the thyroid is totally messed up, I'm going to kind of put that aside and focus on some of these root causes, some of these nutrients like iodine Mm -hmm. being one of them, um, potassium being another. And just if we can kill the parasites, then all of a sudden the thyroid responds really well. We know that um, thyroid hormones are converted in the gut and liver. And so you have parasites it's going to go downstream to a thyroid issue. And so I might see those thyroid imbalances. I might even see hormone imbalances on blood work, but I'm like, yeah, yeah, we'll get there. The best way through is to address the root causes. And as a practitioner, I know that that's the most effective way to do things without piling on a bunch of unessential uh, steps, but it's really hard for people to grasp that idea. (laughs) Like, I'm just oh, like, definitely like is. Yeah, right. Like, but yeah. just give me the thing to fix my thyroid. And I'm like, but it won't help. Like you'll feel good for a month and then you'll feel terrible again. So, yep. I mean, I can trick you, but that's not the type of person I am. So like, <laughs> let's go at this the best way possible. Right. So that's, as you know, that's the part that's challenging. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, you know, just from listening to that, I think there's a bunch of layers to this and I deal with a lot of athletes. How can like the blood chemistry analysis, the, the testing help optimize, you know, athletes, nutrition athletes, you know, maybe they're, they're exercising their body composition. How can I use that for you know, my athletes? Yeah. So body composition, working out, making sure that we're eating enough protein, breaking down that protein. Like, as you know, the insulin regulation is going to be huge. So is your insulin between three to six, maybe seven ish. 
But more than that, are we eating too many carbs, not enough carbs? Are we on a very low carb diet unnecessarily? If their insulin is two and they're trying to do this whole keto thing with their workouts, it might not be the best path. Um, so that's one marker that I like to look at for athletes. Now, I don't work necessarily with a lot of like a couple weekend warriors for sure, but not mm -hmm. like hardcore athletes. So um, I'll try my best here. But when it comes to those weekend warriors, another place where I look is the bun to creatinine ratio. When uh, bun and creatine or creatinine rather are low, it's a sign of too low protein. And if you're looking at the food logs of these individuals and they're eating like a good amount of protein, maybe one gram per pound of body weight, which is probably the upper level level that I would recommend for protein. And their blood is saying that they're not getting enough protein. That's a huge red flag that there's something going on in the gut or that there's something going on with stomach acid. Perhaps they are low in zinc and we know that zinc is going to create stomach acid. Maybe they are low in sodium. We know that sodium is going to create stomach acid, especially when they're athletes, because they're sweating, they're going to be losing sodium and that can impact the stomach acid. And so if they don't have proper stomach acid creation, they're not breaking down protein. They're eating all this protein and they're not able to assimilate the protein that they're eating. So those markers are top priority. Um, even the creatinine, if it is low, but the bun is normal and maybe they're, um, oh, I see this pattern sometimes with like MTHFR individuals, um, and their B12 is super elevated. And no matter how much B or folate or anything that we try, it's not working. I'll put them on creatine. And all of a sudden, because creatine is needed for, um, methylation, things start to work mm -hmm. and their energy starts to go. Um, so those are a couple places. Um, in addition, just nutrient optimization, you'd be amazed at just, just small little shifts in our nutrients make such a big difference. If we're lacking a little bit of vitamin C, it can throw off our iron, which can throw off our energy. And so looking at those markers specifically for energy production, protein, and then carbohydrate tolerance, absolutely essential. Oh, absolutely. Well, so let's say we have a new client who walks through the door. What are some of the most common tests that you're going to order? Okay. This is so fun. I, I always think that I can make some sort of program and carry mm -hmm. people through it. And it would be the same for everybody. It's just not possible. And I don't know if I'll ever be that kind of practitioner that would feel comfortable doing that. Because as soon mm -hmm. as I feel like I have a system, I know which tests I'm going to run. Somebody comes in with a completely bonkers case. And I'm like, this system wouldn't work for you. Like it just wouldn't it work. It just for throws you, you off. Yeah. <laughs> You're just back to square one, which is such a blessing for sure. Um, yeah. But number one thing that I will get absolutely every client to do is blood work. And um, yeah. the blood work is very simple. We're talking about your iron markers, CBC with differential, CMP 14, your cholesterol panel, LDH, GGT, maybe phosphorus if I'm feeling a little crazy and maybe CRP and ESR perhaps, mm -hmm. but even just that, like that panel, depending on who you run it with is anywhere between $40 to maybe $80. And it can give you so much information functionally. And it's mm -hmm. important to understand that functional blood work is so much different than diagnostic blood work. If you take the same blood work to a diagnostic doctor and you say, sir, ma'am, look at this blood work. There's something wrong with me. And the doctor says, there's nothing wrong with you. These labs are perfect. They're just giving you a big check mark of like, you don't have a disease. Congratulations. But there can still be a lot going on functionally. And so having the blood work as a base is so good. Um, so that's the first test. I find when people have the budget, I love, love doing a GI map from diagnostic solutions. If I find yep. it necessary, not necessarily to catch parasites because that test will not catch parasites. Like I have had, I have had clients literally send me pictures of parasites, send those parasites into the lab and they won't even confirm that it's a parasite. Like these are parasites. So what I like the stool testing for specifically PCR based stool testing um, is to understand the dysbiotic pattern of the gut, not necessarily because I want to treat 
the gut head on. But if somebody has, say, an insufficiency pattern, their commensal or healthy bacteria in their gut is super low, specifically their acromancia and the phasobacterium. These are the two keystone bacteria in the gut. They are always low in people that eat a ketogenic diet. And so if I start a client and I'm thinking, okay, you have a pattern in your blood work for parasites. You have a ton of symptoms for parasites. Your thyroid is janked. You got your gallbladder taken out 20 years ago. Your estrogen is elevated. I definitely want to get you on a protocol. If they have insufficiency dysbiosis in their gut, chances are they are not going to respond to that protocol well. And the first step is going to be to build up that healthy bacteria by simply focusing on the diet, maybe adding some prebiotic and probiotic foods if it's necessary before we get started on any antimicrobials or super heavy stuff. So if the budget allows, I love doing the GI map if we find that that's Mm -hmm. the next step. And probably my third most favorite test uh, to start off a client on would be a hair tissue mineral analysis. Now, like a year and a half ago, I used to say that the hair tissue mineral analysis was a terrible test. It was not reliable. There was no way that this could help people. Um, I was humbled in these statements. There are still podcasts out there where I've said these (laughs) things, but I am known for looking at things with a fresh eye and being like, I was wrong. So I was definitely wrong about this test. I used it for myself personally when I wanted to start to um, heal my thyroid. I had been on um, desiccated thyroid hormones since about 2012-ish. And Mm -hmm. I started off at 30 milligrams. Then I went to 60. Then I went to 90. I was chatting with my nurse practitioner about going up to 120. And I was like, this is nuts. Why, Why is it like this? And why is my TSH so low? Like when I got diagnosed with hypothyroidism, my TSH was around four. But over time, my TSH went down to like 0.003. That's not right. And to be honest, my T3 and T4 didn't really look all that great. And so I kept giving myself more and my body just wasn't using it. And so I chatted with a mentor and she was like, just do a hair tissue mineral analysis. And I was like, that's a dumb idea. What are your other (laughs) ideas? She was like, no, 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 do it. It's an inexpensive test. So I did it. I learned all about it and I started supporting my minerals lo and behold, my TSH regulated, which meant that my thyroid was finally sensitive to the thyroid Mm -hmm. hormones. All of a sudden I started being hyperthyroid. I couldn't handle the medications I was on because all of a sudden over time, my thyroid became more and more sensitive to the hormones. And so I started on an iodine protocol and a copper protocol, and now I'm working to reduce, reduce my medication. And so I found through personal experience that the hair tissue mineral analysis can be really effective at understanding what minerals and even vitamins are needed to coach up your vitality. So, so I see functional blood work and just functional wellness as really having two tracks, right? Like you have to figure Mm -hmm. out how to coach up vitality so that the body works with us in our, in our practice that we're doing and the things that we're doing. And then there's another one of like killing things, removing stuff. But if the body is strong enough, it should be able to do a lot of that on its own. So we want to remove the metal, but we want to also coach up the liver to remove the metal itself. And so that's really the balance that we're playing. And I think the hair tissue mineral analysis does a great job of that. So I'm going to take you back just a little bit. You talked about the parasites kind of right in the middle there. Um, Could you talk maybe a little bit? I know you talked about, you know, if they have a parasitic infection, what you might be doing. What are some ways that you're preventing? You're having your clients prevent even getting the parasites in the first place. That is such a great question. And so many people find it challenging to think about that. Um, right. Cause what we want to do is just give me the thing that's going to kill the guys. Like I don't, I don't right. want them in my body, just kill them. But we also need to be thinking about how to avoid. And, um, I couldn't agree with you more. That's a super, super important question to ask. So the first, the first place we need to look is your stomach acid. It is inevitable that you are going to consume parasites in your life. Um, especially if you consume sushi, because of my experience with Entamoeba histolytica, I will never eat sushi again. It's likely that I didn't get it from sushi, but just the idea of just 
eating raw anything at this point. I just won't. And that's a personal preference. I'm sure my body's strong enough to do it. Like just kill those things on command. Um, so the first one is stomach acid. Like we talked about previously, are you low in zinc? Are you low in sodium? How stressed are you? These three things are really going to affect your stomach acid. So making sure that you don't have something called H pylori, super important as that's going to lower stomach acid. So the first thing you need to look at is your stomach acid. The next thing you need to look at is your vitality. Like how strong are you? How, how can you fight this off? Another piece, and this is more complicated, and then we'll talk about lifestyle factors and things to avoid. Um, parasites, the body loves parasites because parasites act as a vat for things going on. What I mean by that is if you have mercury amalgams, for example, um, you have mercury in your body. It's been shown that they off gas. And so you have a buildup of mercury in your body. You're eating sushi one day and that parasite gets into your body and the body says, hey, that's a parasite. It can eat up this mercury to reduce the anxiety and brain fog that we're getting from this mercury. So yeah, stay around. Come on, gobble up all the mercury. So the body will sometimes keep the parasites in there to assist with the process. Parasites can also get in when we are living in a water damaged building or when we are working in a water damaged building, we're going to be susceptible to mycotoxins, especially if we are, our bodies are weaker. And when we are uh, exposed to mycotoxins, our immune system can become more dominant in one side, which then kind of creates this blind spot for the rest of the immune system and allows parasites to set up camp. So those are some of the more complicated things of like, if you have water damage in your home and you know it's making you sick, killing parasites and detoxing mold is great, but getting out of the space that's causing that immune system dysregulation is going to be key. Um, things like, like not eating raw meat, probably pretty, pretty good bet. Just being smart about the preparation of your food. Um, I have a little parasite story. So fast forward a bunch of years after killing parasites. Um, now when we go on vacations, I am always on parasitic herbs and I ordered beef carpaccio at, on a vacation over Christmas and I was like, mm, I bet you this is gonna have parasites, but this will be fun. I'm taking my antiparasitics. Let's see how it goes. Two days later, I was passing worms. Like, and then I thought of Ooh. everyone else who ordered that beef carpaccio who was not on antiparasitics. And I'm like, if they are a little bit stressed or they've dealt with mycotoxins or they're dealing with a trauma right now, chances are they now have worms. And so um, I told my best friend the story. She's like, but did you take a picture? And I totally forgot to take a picture. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, those are some of the ways that we can avoid it. Um, I think the key piece that I really want to drive home, when you are super burdened, when you are living this go, 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 go lifestyle, it does make you weaker. And when you're weaker, you are susceptible to these things. So like the best, most free thing that you can do is spend less time being busy, like go to the beach, go into the forest, sleep a lot, rest, move your body, drink clean, clean, not like filtered tap water, but like clean, distilled, beautiful water. And like, so like that's 90% of the work. Um, and then it's just about building your body stronger every day so that when the parasites come in, they go right out like they did at Christmas, which is so cool that my body is in that space and everyone's can you just need to slow down and take care of yourself so as a provider you know if besides asking for a picture as proof from a patient uh, of what their stool looked like how am i testing for it and what am i doing once i even find out okay you do have it now what do i do okay loaded question okay so right? in order to figure out the whole parasite thing one is symptoms. I will, if a client comes to me and they say, I think I have a parasite, I'm like 99% sure they have a parasite because people know, like people listen mm -hmm. to so much information. If a client comes to me and says like, I think I have SIBO or I think I have mold illness, I'm going to believe them. So that's step number one as a practitioner, before you even look at the labs, before you ask about symptoms, if your client is coming to you and saying, I've done my research, I think I have this thing they are going to know their body better. And then you just ask, 
what makes you think that you have a parasite? And they will tell you. So some of the things that I look for in regards to symptoms, uh, alternating constipation to diarrhea, fingernail biting, um, drooling uh, when you're napping or sleeping, uh, strong sugar um, or processed food cravings, like you just can't get enough of it. I had this one and I had I had no idea um, that it was a symptoms, but pain in the belly button. Like when I would touch my belly button, it would hurt. And that's, that, that is a symptom of parasites, um, eye floaters, um, dry lips. So I have many clients who come to me with like lips that are dry, not even where the lips are, but it goes all the way. Like it almost down to their chin, up to their nose. And they are just dry, dry, dry. It's another one. Um, ferritin. But, uh, between like 25 ish to 35 ish. This is rarely iron anemia. This is usually parasites because beyond the mercury that we talked about mycotoxins, parasites see ferritin as a yum, yum buffet. It is their favorite food and they will eat up that ferritin. So ferritin is a really good one to look for. Um, what else? Uh, oh, hyperactivity, like nervousness, Dark circles under the eye. I have not met a client yet that when they have dark circles, it's not parasites. So just like those dark circles, that's a big um, one. Night sweats, um, outside of menopause, obviously. Um, mm -hmm. If you kiss your pets or you let them kiss your face, chances are you have parasites. Like stop it, like stop it. Um, sleeping with your pets too, which I do. I think my dog would literally die if she wasn't allowed on the bed. So I'm like, it's going to happen, I guess. Um, so that's, that's the symptom side of things. Then when we look at blood work as a practitioner, mm -hmm. we want to look um, specifically, like I talked about the um, white blood cell panel. So oftentimes you're going to see eosinophils elevated, basophils elevated, monocytes elevated with lymphocytes and neutrophils being like fine. Um, in addition to the symptoms, in addition to that low ferritin or like suboptimal ferritin, um, sometimes LDH is a good indicator too. LDH can be low. Um, buns sometimes, but it's not like a really good indication. Um, platelets sometimes will be high or low. ALT or AST is usually, it depends. Sometimes it's high, sometimes it's not. But it, the, the more the more markers you see that are high or low, what I just said, that's a deeper and deeper pattern. Like if they have high eosinophils, high basophils, high monocytes, low ferritin, mm -hmm. low LDH, elevated AST, ALT, you're like, yeah, in addition to symptoms, I'm like, you got parasites. So then it becomes number one, we have to understand where parasites in are in the body and how to get them out. If you just, this is my biggest pet peeve and it's so frustrating because you have to re-educate the client after other practitioners or even clients on their own will hear podcasts and be like, okay, I got a parasite. I'm going to go to Whole Foods. I'm going to pick up, what is that parasite cleanse kit? Like Paragon or whatever from a new life. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do that. I'm going to kill all those guys. It's going to be fine. Two weeks done. The average parasite life cycle is three months. <laughs> so you might kill some of the little babies, but you're not going to really do anything to the overall situation. Also, parasites don't just live in the gut. They can live in the lung. They can live in the fascia. They can travel all over. Um, so logically, you need to think, well, how do I, if these parasites are blocking, because they want to stay in there, if the parasites are blocking the body's ability to get them out, we need to open up the body. So the first step is opening up drainage. So what I mean by that is that there are various ways that the body drains itself. We have cells, right? Drain themselves. Some will say sodium potassium pump. Some research is now saying the sodium potassium pump doesn't even exist. So I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I, I have to look into it further, but cells detoxify, muscles detox, right? Muscle cells detoxify. Yeah. We have the kidney we have kidneys, we have the liver, we have the bowel, we have the lungs, um, your sweat, right? Your sweat glands. That's how we detoxify. When we have these things like parasites, we're probably also going to have metals. We're probably also going to have mold. We're probably also going to be dealing with some cellular infections. We need to open the body up. So foundationally, we need to look at 
opening the body, sweating, pooping regularly. I don't mean pooing every other day, like at least once a day, if not twice a day, perfect after every meal, like really get these bowels moving, really get the lymph moving. If you're dealing with edema or when you walk, your hands are getting all puffy. Your lymph is not moving. You need some fascia release. You need lymph release. Um, because if we can get this moving, the body will just naturally, that's what I'm talking about. You know, those two paths we talked about. One is build up the vitality, get the body stronger, opening up this drainage. That is how we do it. And then once the body's open, then we kill the dudes. So if um, I named my parasite, his name was Bob. And so every <laughs> couple of weeks, I would test my blood and see whether or not I killed Bob. Bob took a very long time to die, probably about a year and a half of like, oh, antimicrobial agents, like herbal remedies. At the end there, I was like, you know what? I'm doing triple antibiotic therapy. I don't even care, like kill him. And that was that was the one-two punch I needed. I could not get a leg up and it's not always like that, but I had had this parasite for over a decade. It was affecting my liver. I had gone for multiple scans and had a bunch of cysts forming. And I just decided like, I can't keep, I can't keep doing like wormwood and expecting this to change. Right. It did make a significant impact on my symptoms. I was almost symptom-free, um, but my liver wasn't improving. And so then I just decided I can take some antifungals and probiotics at the same time as taking these antibiotics and just kill the guy. And that, that did the trick. Um, and so sometimes it doesn't need to be like that. Um, I, out of a hundred clients, maybe three of them go the medication route. Like, so it's not a big amount of people. I think it's just the patience required. I feel like in this day and age, we are so accustomed to like, give me the thing, kill the thing, move on. And with parasites, yeah. because of their life cycle, it takes a good amount of time. And there also has to be some wisdom around, okay, we've addressed parasites enough. It's time for us to move on. We know that you might still have parasites, but the body is keeping them there. One, because they're behind biofilms. Two, because they're eating up, like I said, the mycotoxins, the metals, the chemicals, um, the cellular um, infections. And so let's move on. And if after all of this other work, mm -hmm. we still think that there's parasites going on, we can go back to parasites. So once we've opened up the body, we start addressing parasites while well, we continue to coach up the body to keep, keep being on our side, keep working on those natural processes that it knows how to do and patience, persistence, and just ongoing testing both with symptoms and blood work to kind of see how we're progressing. I'm not going to lie. I know how much I like sushi and I've made <laughs> eye contact with Drew. And I think everybody listening to this podcast probably touched their belly button as soon as you said it, because I sure did. <laughs> I was just, oh no. <laughs> I know. I I loved sushi. And I'm not saying you can't have it again. Like what, once you've killed the parasites and you're strong enough, I think you can totally have sushi again. It's just the, the amount of work that I went through. I just, I don't know what it is. I just can't, I just mentally can't do it. But I mean, I had oh, I'm ready to, so like, I'm ready to that. order my like lab work today, like tonight. <laughs> like now I'm just like, all right, I got to find out. But even if we're seeing, even if we're seeing a parasite pattern in the blood work, this brings up a good point and there are no symptoms for it. What I'm going to do first is just kill off or like break down some biofilms, go on a binder and just kind of see what mm -hmm. the body does. Because sometimes there's a parasite pattern in blood work and no symptoms. And sometimes there's symptoms and no patterns. And so instead of pushing, like I find bodies do not like being pushed. And if they're not ready to address these things, that's when we're going to have Herx reactions and just terrible, terrible and Herx are the worst. I've gone through a couple. It's terrible. You want to die. And so like, let's avoid that and make sure that your body is ready to give up these things. Cause if it's not, it's not going to like the process. Right. It, it really sounds like probably a lot of us are living with parasites right now. Oh yeah. 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 I think, uh, what does one of my mentors say? Um, if you have a pulse, you have a parasite. <laughs> like so, so what should not to necessarily worry our listeners, but like what, what can come from 
you know, parasites or, or a parasitic infection? Like what, what's the need to get rid of the parasite? That is a great question. So it really depends on what kind of parasite you have and what kind of symptoms you'll experience. I think the top one that I see is thyroid dysregulation. If you have not been able to manage your thyroid and it is affecting your quality of life, which I think a lot of women can relate to this. I get a lot of messages from women of like, I am tired. I am depressed. I don't have motivation. I have dry skin. I don't have libido. I can't think. And those, those affect our quality of life. And so when there is a significant parasite imbalance, oftentimes it will affect the thyroid. And those are some of the symptoms. I had another client a couple of months ago, and this is a common pattern too: skin issues. Like when there is something happening on your skin, like on your face, even on your legs or arms in the summer, you cannot wear shorts or a t-shirt because you're ashamed. When it comes to those quality of life issues, that's a big one too. Um, my mom um, was diagnosed with Parkinson's in the last year. And before that diagnosis, um, she had gotten like attacked by a squirrel. It's a funny story now, but it was not funny at the time. And she ended up getting Bartonella, Babesia, and a couple of other like parasitic issues because wow. of that attack. And within a couple of days, she had a hard time processing words. She couldn't like, she couldn't function well. And so when it comes to quality of life and those, those things, whether it be your skin or your ability to communicate or connect with people, um, those can be some of the issues that we're seeing um, with parasites. And then in the case of myself, I was eating a ketogenic diet. Everything was going really well. And in the matter of like a couple of months, all of a sudden I couldn't generate ketones. My metabolism was like a total mess. Nothing was working. And my liver was just not functioning properly. My hormones took a turn for the worse because the liver is required in order to process hormones. If we're not creating enough bile, we're not processing estrogen properly. We can get estrogen dominance. And all of a sudden I'm like dealing with estrogen dominance and having gallbladder pain. And I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> so that was my liver being attacked by the entamoeba histolytica to the point where mm -hmm. it was affecting my hormones, which then as women know, like when your hormones are sideways, you do not even feel like a regular human. Um, a very common uh, parasitic issue also is anal itch. I probably out of a hundred clients that come to me with parasites, probably 20 of them deal with anal itch. And if you've experienced this, it is terrible because you're like sitting in a meeting and you're like, if I don't leave right now, something bad's going to happen. And so when it starts to affect quality of life, I have a huge issue yeah. with it. The bowel urgency thing too, like, oh, I had a client that I don't know, like she ate something or what happened. We were halfway through the parasite protocols and everything was going really well. And I think she just had like a traumatic experience and she ate a bunch of things that weren't on her program. And maybe there were parasites in it or it just flared things up. And she started dealing with the worst bowel urgency, like, and she was planning to go to Europe soon and she was totally stressed. And that's like, of course I would be too. You have to be on a plane for all these hours. How are you going to do that with bowel urgency? When it comes to those quality of life pieces, um, it's big. Also asthma, um, can progress and breathing issues can progress because I mentioned that parasites can reside in the lungs. When you start to deal with breathing issues, that blows. In the case of, um, for example, the athletes, if if you're having a hard time with your VO2 max and just all the things that are required to breathe well and you just can't do it, huge issue there. Um, those are some of the common things that I see impacting one's quality of life. Um, when there are these ongoing issues and you have gone to your doctor and you've said, there is something wrong. I don't know what it is. Can you help me? And they say, there's nothing wrong with you. This is just you aging. That is a lie. And you need to find somebody who can advocate for you. And that person sitting across from you saying that it's just because you're aging. I highly doubt it. And so there's no harm in doing your research, finding somebody to help you or listening to a whole bunch of podcasts and educating yourself to determine whether or not this is an issue. If it's a dead end, it's a dead end. But 
Um, I've seen far too many people go, and myself included, like go, gone years and years and years, not thinking about this, not having it on my radar. And as soon as it was, I was like, oh, that's why my belly button hurt, which isn't a big deal. Like whoop-de-doo belly button hurting, but um, all those little things build up or that's why I don't go to the bathroom ever. Like our ability to poop often super essential, especially for women. This is how we are detoxifying estrogen. As we start to reach that menopausal age, our body's going to have more and more risk of developing estrogen dominance. In addition, like not even to mention the whole gallbladder removal, what that will do to estrogen. And so pooping on a regular basis, super important to regulating those hormones, even something simple like that, where it's not affecting your like day to day. But if, if you're not pooping and you're in your mid forties, fifties, and you're starting to think about menopause and what that's going to look like, we need to get these, um, uh, ways of your body to detox naturally going and parasites are a huge, huge issue there. Wow. That's all really fascinating stuff. Um, you know, and that's great advice for, for patients like being their own best advocate. You know, I mean, I think, you know, your podcast and just the podcasts that, I, you know, are out there and that I listen to in general, we're full of information that's available, right? So all this information is available and it's wonderful um, that we have access to it, but getting somebody to maybe believe you or, you know, to listen to you without you sounding like, oh, I went to WebMD and I know everything, right? Um, so kind of transitioning to the ketogenic diet a little bit and going along the functional blood chemistry um, category, do you have people who are worried, because this is what I hear all the time, do you have people who are worried about going on a ketogenic diet because it's going to affect their cholesterol levels? Because I hear is, you know, cholesterol increases and I have an increased risk of heart disease. And that gets me to functional blood testing. And just because you're in range doesn't mean it's bad. Like, yeah, you touch base on that? totally. So I, <laughs> I have no clients that have this concern because I feel like oh. my clients have followed me for a long enough time that they know that this is ridiculous. <laughs> so they don't bring it up. They, you know, they might have high cholesterol and they're like, Leanne, I was reading that high cholesterol could be because I'm low in B12, you know, like those sorts of things. Um, and so my clients don't, but this is a very, very common concern that I saw a lot, especially when I was on tour talking about keto and all these different people that were very new to the functional wellness space and didn't really understand how everything worked. And educated poorly with information that was super outdated. So first we need to understand what cholesterol is. The cholesterol on your blood work is a calculation of LDL plus HDL plus 20% of triglycerides. So cholesterol is not necessarily the problem. It's the markers that I just mentioned. Like what is the one that's severely out of whack for most people, like most labs that I look at, it's going to be LDL that's high, that's increasing the cholesterol. Generally, it is super rare for HDL to be elevated unless somebody has like a pretty active autoimmune condition. And it's pretty rare for triglycerides to be elevated unless they have really poor fat digestion or they're really, really, really in need of B12 to the point where it's like a big problem. Um, so I usually, when cholesterol is elevated, I go straight to the LDL and sure enough, it's like above 160. And so, yeah, this is a great marker that we can use in understanding what the body's doing. Can it be higher when we're eating keto? Sure. There are some people that need to eat lower saturated fat on their ketogenic diet out of a hundred clients. I would say I probably one person maybe two people that I've worked with over the last two years even have needed this. So it's a pretty rare thing, at least for the people that I'm working with. Um, so if the LDL is like 300, that's usually when I'm like, okay, let's lower the saturated fat on your ketogenic diet and see how this goes. Um, and, and generally that will get it down to the two hundreds or something, but usually what I'm seeing as the two main causes of LDL being high is one hypothyroidism. So when we don't have enough thyroid hormone, we don't have enough thyroid hormone to clear LDL. So you're looking, when you get your blood work, you're looking at an LDL 
that have been in the body far longer than they need to be because the thyroid hormones aren't there to clear them. And that's one of the jobs that the thyroid hormones do. And so if I see an elevated LDL and the person is eating a ketogenic diet and the person is hypothyroid, I'm like, okay, well, there's something going on with the thyroid that's affecting the LDL. So let's find out looking, the looking at the rest of your blood work, what is going on with this LDL and what's going on with that's affecting that LDL. Right. Um, and then the second piece is just overall like gut, gut permeability. Um, so an increased toxic load in the gut due to like parasites, uh, dysbiosis, metals, um, will increase LDL because LDL is a natural antimicrobial, which I didn't know until about a year ago. And when I found that out, I just like, how cool is the body that it will create more LDL? That is just so incredibly cool. Um, the reason why LDL can be increased in the case of mycotoxins or mold illness is because the mycotoxins will actually block the receptors for LDL, which means that the LDL will build up. And that's why the LDL can be increased. So yes, LDL can be increased when we're dealing with metabolic syndrome. If we see an elevated like triglyceride along with um, high glucose, along with high insulin, and we're looking at our food logs and we're eating McDonald's and Cadbury mini eggs every day, then like, yeah, it's probably your diet. And so it's really important to prepare for blood work properly. And so in the case of LDL also, if you had a massive workout the day before, or even the morning of, and then went out for blood work, your LDL is going to be increased. And so yes, the ketogenic diet can increase your cholesterol if you're sensitive to saturated fats. And if your level is 300 plus, I would look at that. But if it's in that kind of realm, that functional 160 to two ish hundred, it, it's probably these other factors. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like exactly what we teach in nutrition, right? James, like our, our students are amazed when you tell them, you know, dietary cholesterol is not what's raising your cholesterol yep. levels. Like they're, yep. they're amazed. Like I'm supposed to eat Cheerios to lower my, you know, it's, no. you know, low, yeah, low heart, low cholesterol, heart, healthy foods is, you know, really a scam. And, you know, students are, are amazed when you, you know, tell them that mm -hmm. I you know, wanted to stay on the same topic and talk about some misconceptions of the keto diet. I don't know how much you get, because again, a lot of your clients follow you, but one of the questions I got recently was how can a keto diet be healthy for me? How can having a scoop of sour cream be healthier than eating an apple. And could you dive into maybe some of the common misconceptions with the ketogenic diet and, you know, where some people might have it wrong? So uh, that's a very good question about the sour cream versus an apple. And I would almost argue that there's nothing wrong with the apple. It's having the apple on its own and it's understanding what your metabolism can handle. So an apple with almond butter is going to hit your body completely different than an apple on its own and sour cream, depending on the quality. Um, I don't necessarily think that everyone should be eating dairy. If we just think about dairy and where it comes from, it's literally to grow baby animals to be bigger. And so if we're just thinking about that. It's a little bit bizarre. Um, but I think it comes down to understanding your metabolism and the best way to understand that is to look at your glucose on a minute to minute basis. And that's why if somebody is like, I don't know if it's this ketogenic diet thing, but I know I feel terrible and I know I need to clean up my diet. I'm like, great. Get a CGM, a continuous glucose monitor for two weeks, eat how you're eating. Like just eat. However, like if you want to have that apple, have that apple and just see how your body responds, see how your glucose responds, see how you feel and how long it takes to recover from your meals. If you're eating an apple on its own, you are going to be hungry in another 20 minutes. And you're just going to eat another apple and another apple and probably not even apples. We're talking like a Kit Kat bar or whatever. And so I think the proof is in the pudding with this. Um, it is really hard to convince. I've learned that convincing people of the ketogenic diet is really pointless until they're ready. <laughs> they're not going to try it. Um, I think, unfortunately, our human condition is that 
we need to get to our wits end when everything is broken for us to be like, huh, maybe I should try the ketogenic diet. It's unfortunate that it takes that, but that's just our human condition. If you're at all curious, even just a simple breakfast test will sometimes do the trick for people. Instead of having your classic, like, like you mentioned, Cheerios with milk and orange juice, maybe that's kind of what you eat for breakfast. Maybe tomorrow you have eggs with bacon and a coffee with a little bit of full fat cream and maybe some kale sauteed and that bacon fat, um, making sure that that meal is about 30 grams of protein, give or take. Okay. So a good amount of bacon, maybe some ham on the side, like just get it to that 30 grams and just see how your day goes. Probably you're going to have more energy. You might not have that lull in the afternoon. You might get to noon and be like, wow, I'm not even hungry for lunch. What's going on? You might be less grumpy. You might not get a headache while you're driving to work. So there are key things that you can do to test this theory on yourself. Um, and I found the best way to kind of con convince my family members and friends is to do a breakfast test. Like let's go for breakfast, choose something keto and see how you feel after. Um, and oftentimes that works really, really well for those people that are metabolically broken. The beautiful thing though, about the ketogenic diet and the body overall, the body can handle so much. And I found once I was healed on the ketogenic diet, I didn't really need to do it as strict as I was doing it previously. Now I'm trying to build muscle very quickly. And the way that I'm doing that is through carbohydrates. And so I am amazed at how my body has been able to handle carbohydrates when years ago before keto, there was no way I could handle that. So I think a lot of people are a little bit like the keto diet is not going to work because the idea of living without oatmeal forever is terrible, but the ketogenic diet, if done properly and responsibly with combining foods and, and keeping an eye on your glucose and understanding the reactions that you have with foods can be enough to reset your metabolism that in future, you can have certain things that you couldn't manage properly before. And you can eat an apple and not react as you would um, before the ketogenic diet. So those are my thoughts. Those are great tips. So as we almost run out of time, um, something we want to start asking our guests, um, you know, since we have both practitioners from all different professions listening in, we also have, you know, everyday um, clients and patients. What is some advice for them on how they can take, you know, better steps to change their health tomorrow, whether it's the practitioner recommending it to patients or whether it's a patient, just how can I live better today? Okay. My answer will forever and always be water quality, like beyond food. Like we are so obsessed with talking about food and it's so cool. I mean, I'm a nutritionist, so it's kind of like what I do, but food is great. But think about how much water you should be drinking daily, like should um, at least half a gallon to a full gallon, sometimes even more in athletes, like a gallon and a half, depending on a lot of factors. So one is enough water and two is water quality. When I started testing people for metals and started looking into homes with lead issues, copper issues, and seeing the types of the type of water that they're drinking and the impact that that's having on their overall health, I recommend that every single client that I work with, number one, work with a chiropractor, and number two, drink really clean water. And that clean water to me and the research that I've done is distilled water. It's the only water that will be absolutely pure. It will have nothing in it, not even minerals, which is very important to re-add, but it's not going to have your radioactive elements. The radioactive elements are still causing a lot of issues. And this is common in re reverse osmosis water, which is why it's like my number two choice. Yes, reverse osmosis will remove your metals and chemicals, but it will not remove the radioactive elements. And those are the things that are affecting the thyroid. Those are the things that are affecting even our body's ability to um, detoxify via glutathione. Um, and so, yeah, water, make sure you're drinking enough of it. And if you can invest like $200 in a distiller for your home to drink beautiful distilled water and add minerals to it manually, that is like the best thing you can do for your health 
beyond literally anything because your body is made up of water. It needs water. It's going to go into every cell's quick cell quicker than anything that you will try. So water, water, water. That's awesome. Uh, we, you know, again, we really appreciate, you know, you joining us on the podcast today and uh, we hope our listeners have, you know, really gained a lot of insightful knowledge from you because I feel like I have. Oh, that means a lot. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me. It was so great seeing you again. And again, thank you for all your time. And we hope to have you on again. Thanks for having me. Thank you. It was a blast. Before we wrap up, we want to take a minute to talk about the Council on Nutrition. I've been a member of the Council for five years now, and we've actually been published in their peer-reviewed journal, Nutritional Perspectives. The symposium that they put on is one of my favorite things to attend each year, and it's a great asset for getting my continuing education credits, meeting other professionals, and it's great for students and new practitioners like Drew. The Council on Nutrition is available to everybody from practitioners to our listeners and patients. You can find more information about joining and getting access to the annual symposium, publications, events, and more at www.councilonnutrition.com. This episode has also been brought to you in part by Iowa Performance Institute. Are you tired of wondering what foods you should be eating or what supplements you should be taking? At Iowa Performance Institute, we know that nutrition is about more than just counting calories. That is why we offer nutritional services designed to help you on your journey to achieving optimal health and wellness. Our team of experts create a personalized plan that is tailored to your needs. Whether you're looking to improve athletic performance or just want to feel better in your everyday life, we have the knowledge and experience to help you succeed. Invest in your health and schedule your free consultation today at performanceiowa.com. Listeners to this podcast can take an additional 10% off of supplements at Fullscript by clicking the link in the show notes. James, it was really great having Leanne join us on the podcast today. I mean, me personally, I learned so much more about the ketogenic diet. Like Leanne mentioned, it can be difficult to discuss a diet like keto, which restricts a lot of common foods to clients that don't have the drive to change. Um, I mean, you know, the story I brought up, what are, what are some of your thoughts on the, the podcast today? Yeah, you know, it's always great listening to Leanne's podcast um, it's even better getting to actually talk to her in person. So, you know, for me, I I won't lie, the amount of sushi that I've eaten over the years, I just still am and thinking about those parasites. I would not be surprised if I had a parasite right now. I'm not kidding. Just the thought of it kind of just, I'm, I'm already thinking about ordering labs. and, and Do, what, do you have a pulse? I do have a pulse, so that means I probably have a parasite, and I just still can't get over it right now. What was what was uh, one of your big takeaways? I mean, I agree with you on the sushi. I mean, I I mean, recently I've probably ate less, but in the past there's been some weeks that I'm eating it every single week. But I, again, I was really fascinated that all of us are most likely living with a parasite, um, especially because it's something that I don't really have a lot of background in. And it was very informative to me. And I also think that our listeners will be able to take so much from that conversation. Um, you know, I was listening to some of those symptoms and it was like checking boxes of things that, you know, I feel like to me were just normal, normal body functions. So, you know, maybe I have a parasite and that's causing some of those symptoms. What were some of your takeaways? You know, the parasites we, we already talked about, but, you know, for me, I think being a, a practitioner who orders labs and looks at labs, you know, I was really struck with the, the functional blood chemistry topic. You know, I don't know how many times I've had patients and clients come in and they tell you that they you know, have all this lab work. They've gone to the doctor. The doctor says they're fine. And it's always because, you know, a lot of the times for a lot of practitioners, they're just looking at lab values is it within the normal lab range? And so if it's within the range, you get this, oh, you're fine. Everything checks out. Um, but as I can tell you, and as a lot of the listeners can tell you, they can still be experiencing, you know, clinical symptoms. And so that's a big thing, you know, really taking into account functional, functional lab testing versus just, is it within normal range? Real, real quick before we leave, what do you think about letting the, the patient tell you, you know, what, they have. Cause I know I, you know, I'm around you a lot. I know you hate, you know, WebMD. What'd you think of that? 
You know, it, it made me think a little bit different as a provider. I'm not going to lie. Um, you know, I, I've always been told that, you know, 80% of a diagnosis is the history that you take. The patient can tell you what's wrong with them if you ask the right questions or you are able to listen as a provider. Um, you know, the healthcare system, not getting too, too deep, but the healthcare system right now does not allow for that. It's, it's a lot of test-based answers and it's not a lot of time listening, but if you just take a, take the time to listen to your patient, um, you're able to get a lot of those. So for me, I, I kind of started to have this mind, this shift in mindset that, you know, I, I do, I, it's always been a pet peeve. Somebody comes in, they've gone to WebMD, like if they start off the conversation with, I went to WebMD and I have, as a provider, I just cringe. Um, I think what Leanne was talking about was a little bit different. You know, if you go to WebMD and you type in enough symptoms, it's always going to come back cancer, tumor, <laughs> tomorrow. Like it's, it's, it, they can go some crazy routes. Um, I think if you listen to the story though, and the patient, you know, they've had these symptoms for four years, three years, however long they've experienced X, Y, Z, if they build it into more of a story and maybe don't start out with, I went to WebMD, um, you know, I, I definitely agree with her. I definitely agree that the patient typically does know. And especially, you know, Leanne followed that up with, okay, well, tell me why you think this. Yeah. And if you're able to tell me why and you've gone to nine providers and you've done all these blood tests, like, all right, there's some validity there. So if you want to learn more about any of the products or resources mentioned in today's podcast, check out the show notes for links. Drew, I hope you have a great week. I am ready to kick off season two and I am looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we've got some action-packed guests and I'm excited. Remember, new podcast episodes will be released weekly and we'll drop on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and more every Monday. With special behind-the-scenes clips shared on our social media channels throughout the week. We appreciate everyone tuning in today. This has been Nutrition on a Mission, a podcast of the ACA Council on Nutrition. Make sure you're following us on Instagram at Nutrition on a Mission Pod and follow Drew and I at Iowa Performance Institute for updates on our guests and episode releases. The views and comments expressed are those of the host and guest and do not necessarily reflect those of the ACA Council on Nutrition or the American Chiropractic Association.